Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Hello, hello, hello. And thanks for joining us today on this uh, wonderful Valentine's night. Broadcasting from CHRW in the world's second best London, this is GradCast, the sexiest radio show put on by the Society of Graduate Students here at the University of Western Ontario. I will be your host tonight. My name is Yemin Chen, and with me, my lovely co, my lovely co-host, uh, Ariel Frame. How are you doing, Ariel? I'm good. Yeah, excellent. So, uh, for this very special, very sexy episode, um, we have a wonderful guest, friend of mine, Mr. Zach Bronson. How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing good. How are yeah. you? Oh, excellent, excellent. Um, you know, we're talking on the radio <laughs> on such a wonderful, sultry night. Yeah, but we have. I, uh, didn't, I didn't get the memo that this is, was how, how sexy this uh, radio show was, so... The theme of GradCast is uh, soft sensuality, <laughs> much like the inauguration was. <laughs> I personally like to believe that radio is the most sensual of the broadcast media. Mm. We're right there in your ears. softer. <laughs> um, just before we get started, I just want to mention to you guys that if you want to uh, ask a question to Zach, and there's going to be a lot of great talk about movies tonight, you can text us at uh, 519-661-3600. And um, we can ask Zach your question. All right, let's move. Uh, hi, Zach. Uh, so uh, you're in the FIMS department, uh, and I'm told you study about dystopian futures and that sort and how it relates to ecology. Uh, to mind, why don't you tell us a little bit about your work and how you got into it? Okay, sure. Um, yeah, so my research is on um, the relationship between science fiction and environmentalism or ecology. Um, so, you know, so it you know differs quite a lot from a lot of ecological narratives. Or you know, So science fiction often kind of has a bit more complicated ideas of what nature is and what ecology is other than some other um, typical types of environmental um, narratives, right? So it kind of rethinks what we think are, what is the environment in many ways. Um, <clears throat> the way I got into this project is, um, I think like a lot of people, I became interested in just this bombardment of media that we have, of, you know, climate change, of the end of the world happening. So I think a lot of us probably grew up being seeing all this like proliferation of images so we, i became interested in you know what is actually happening in these these narratives and what's happening and you know why do we have this feeling that the end of the world is you know just around the corner um and so as i started to research it i discovered that there is quite a lot of this is quite a common feature of the modern world is these narratives about the environment about the end of the world um another thing that i started to notice is that actually when I look back at it, a lot of environmentalists themselves actually relied a lot on science fiction to kind of think about the future, about the end of the world, about the environment. So, I mean, um, Rachel Carson, whose book Silent Spring is often thought about as being this, you know, the very first work of, or to help start the environmental movement in many ways. It actually starts off with a short story that's very much like an apocalyptic narrative about the end of the world, right? It's about a small town that gets uh, ruined by 
chemical damage from nuclear waste being spread over the planet. So it starts to start to uh, just break down. And then, you know, you start to see a lot of other science fiction works. Um, Sorry, you you in? Yeah, I mean, just for context, like Silent Spring, that's that's a book about um, uh, the DDT use and its effect on birds. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So it's the Silent Spring, the title is refers to a world where everything is dead except... Um, well, everything's dead. It's silent. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's about DDT. It's about chemicals being released into the environment. It's very much like a... The wor- world she kind of pictures is very much like a nuclear holocaust, right, where everything is dying because these chemicals uh, released from DDT are being spread over the planet and, and just destroying all all life forms on Earth. But you can kind of see other environmentalists themselves start to use similar science fictional elements. More recently, stuff like The World Without Us or, right, where, you know, this scientist is looking at what would happen to the world if if humans just disappeared completely, what would we have, what would happen? And that's actually really similar to a lot of, like, apocalyptic narratives about the end of the world where, you know, there, there it actually is very similar to, like, a, a novel from the, se- the 50s called Earth Abides, which is a scientist just travels around the world trying to uncover what is what happens to the planet when everyone else is everyone else is dead, but um, but then there's been other ones too like that too. Like, so, what is it exactly about science fiction that is so effective at talking about issues of environmentalism? Well, that's a real, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, I think I think uh, what science fiction is really good at is that it maybe rethinks exactly what it is what is nature in many ways um, but I also think that science fiction helps express something that maybe is intangible about the present world that it's has difficulty imagining in terms of just realist narratives like um, it, it's trying to think a bit outside of what are the limits or conditions of the modern world maybe to try to rethink how we see the environment in some ways or to rethink maybe a bit of the possibilities of what is capable of happening in this world um Sometimes I I see like dystopian future movies as kind of a kind of like you know like a philosopher would give you a hypothetical example and say mm-hmm. well if we took this idea and to its logical end then this is what we can conclude mm-hmm. so you, uh, a movie like a dystopian future that says hey you know if we pollute a lot this is what it might look like and it's really a good way to 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 show that mm-hmm. um, do you find that that is kind of the way a movie can impart an idea as profound as like save the environment (laughs) yeah for sure i mean i think um you know it kind of uses these as starting points for thinking about well what would happen to the future if uh this were to happen right what would what were to happen if you know all the all the plant life died on the earth or um so they commonly use that as a way of thinking about the future or speculating about it um, but at the same time, it's also, you know, science fiction is also really good at thinking about the present present in many ways. So they, it thinks about, you know, as it's thinking about the future, it's actually reflecting back on our own present and the things that, that we do, the behaviors that we have or certain kind of conditions of our modern world that maybe lead to these problems. So it kind of has almost like a philosophical bend to it where it's reflecting on that on the future, but also in doing so, kind of reflecting back on, you know, what are we doing today? What are the problems that we're uh, creating today for the future? Okay, so uh, based on some of our conversations earlier, it sounds like 
Mad Max Fury Road is one of the the texts that you're um, talking about that you're analyzing as an example of this sort of science fiction dystopian future uh, ecology, um, and that is, to be fair, I, like a movie I had never thought of or or watched in that way. Mm. Uh, granted, I did watch this on a trans you know Atlantic flight in the back of a. a of a seat on the plane, so perhaps not the best uh, environment or you know um, screen size to be appreciating mm-hmm. the, the subtleties of the filmmaking and the messages <laughs> and so on. But could you talk a little bit about you know how do you go about looking for you know um, this commentary or these ideas about uh, the future environment in a film like Mad Max? Mm. I mean that's a good question. I mean I think I think Mad Max is a, is actually a really Intelligent film in many ways, or Fury Road, I should call it. Like. <clears throat> I think it. Um, I mean, it is very subtle. I think is the problem is that it, it is very easy to miss some of the elements of it. But you know, it is dealing with quite complex issues around the relationship between. Um, it deals a lot with similar issues that we ha- encounter today around inequality, around resources, about people who have lots and people who have none. It also deals a lot with kind of toxic masculinity, but also about people who have the power. And who kind of dominate over the the land and are able to control resources, limit it, while other people have none at all. So, you know, you can kind of start to see how it becomes this wider narrative. And I think it's actually a really intelligent narrative because um, it actually plays with a lot of kind of the traditions or kind of maybe what our expectations of of a narrative about the environment might be. Mm -hmm. So, like, for example, I think one of the most distinctive elements is it, and this is actually what led to a lot of people hating it, or online trolls hating the movie, is that, you know, it actually, like, deconstructs a lot of, like, the hero narrative, right? Because we're, we're expecting it to be Mad Max, Fury Road, and, and then, you know, five minutes into the movie, he's already captured, and he's already lost his, his, his car, his gun. He's, he's, you know, now kind of a resource in Joe's army that he, he wasn't before, right? And it, it actually becomes a parallel story about redemption for, for both of them in some ways. I love that, you know, when you mentioned trolls, you just sort of gestured toward me. <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah. Also, um, you know, for long-time listeners, thank you, Tristan, uh, that other time for calling me a existential goblin. Shout out. My pleasure. <laughs> Okay, so you, you, you went over like a lot of territory over there um, in terms of resources, in terms of how uh, Fury Road sets up a lot of these really subtle um, sort of critiques about society, masculinity, things like that. Um, would it be possible for you to take sort of like one example and sort of walk us through how it, um, it shows us this or you know, talks to us about these issues? Like in terms of Fury Road? In terms of Fury Road, yeah. If you have an example off the top of your head. Um, <clears throat> well, I think like it, it kind of sets it up itself. as It's a story about, you know, not just the environment. It's, it's set up in a world where, you know, climate change has ruined most of the planet. There are, no, there are very few resources, if any, and, and all that exists is pretty much owned by one person who um, goes by the name Morton Joe, who owns everything, but he also owns the people that depend on those resources. Um, you know, partly because some of them he actually owns as slaves, which are mostly uh, women. Who uh, some of them he keeps uh, uh, trapped in his in his citadel to 
to raise children or grow have children for milk for other kind of resources that they can get from that some of them actually become almost slaves because their bodies are turned into resources either as blood or blood bags um um so is this um is this you said um you know dystopian movies like this uh can tell us about tell us a, a bit about you know the future and maybe how you can avoid this uh but also a little bit about the present mm-hmm. so what can we glean from this movie that relates to the present and is there anything kind of <laughs> analogous to using people as resources currently happening well i I think, you know, that certainly is happening in terms of around the world, people being reduced to resources in terms of, I mean, it does speak largely in terms of inequality around labor as jobs about being uh, unequal resources, people being slaves to work, so to speak, but also, you know, around the world, people's bodies are being used as sold on the black market or being used as as body parts, spare body parts for, for wealthy people. So there is a certain kind of resonance in terms of those issues, for sure. Um, but I also think that the whole narrative is itself kind of a reflection on, um, you know, kind of environmental damage today and, and climate change. And I also think it's, you know, it is kind of a, quite a, I think that the narrative actually is quite a bit more utopian than most apocalyptic narratives because it's actually about changing the social structure, right? They Instead of just leaving and abandoning towards some, you know, garden, they actually kind of turn back and they come back to the citadel because they want to change the kind of unequal structure that exists there. So, I mean, that's quite a bit more utopian than a lot of post-apocalyptic narratives, which are kind of, you know, they end end with people kind of just fleeing to somewhere else or just, you know, usually dying at the end um, or being taken over by zombies. But, you know, it's actually quite a hopeful narrative, right? It is a narrative about hope, I think. Um, and so they come back to the citadel and they try to take over and restructure how it operates so it isn't such a patriarchal and hierarchical society that's been um so one one critical difference i find between you know science fiction and movies and and reality is that uh whenever you're watching one of these movies or you're reading one of these books they have an ending and they mm. they always have to have an ending you know you're, you're you can't just end mid chapter at one point and not close the story mm. uh, for the reader whereas we're in the middle of the story and the story doesn't have an ending really we just are living <laughs> indefinitely forever mm. so uh sometimes um you know, sometimes these movies will end really badly. Everyone dies, and the lo- mm-hmm. the lesson was that was really bad. Avoid that. We can't <laughs> fix it if you get too far. And sure. sometimes it becomes more of a utopian thing where, you know, th- they've managed to fix it, and that's because they learned these lessons along the way, and it wasn't too late, and they managed to do something about it. Uh, presumably, we could do something about it now in mm. in this reality that's not science fiction. Uh, what what can we learn from these movies, and and how to avoid the <laughs> potential dystopia? <laughs> Uh, well, that's a very difficult question. I mean, um, I don't. I, I, I think. Um, I mean, in, in many ways, one of the things I'm always struck by is how much movies are, you know, can be both nihilistic but also kind of hopeful in many ways. Right. This is in contrast to like when you read the news, which is like there is there is <laughs> there is no hope whatsoever. Right. Well, like we, we, it's very hard to find hope in some ways you know optimists don't read the news they don't um you know post-apocalyptic narrative is very nihilistic in some ways right where it's kind of saying like the end of the world will happen uh regardless what we want or how we're going to get out of it right and and they're usually nihilistic in the sense that um 
the only way to get by is just to survive on your own in a sense, right? But, you know, it's better to kind of get rid of everyone else because everyone else might attack you in some way or try to take what are your resources. Um, um, uh, have you seen any examples where uh, uh, a movie has brought to brought um, <coughs> some idea that, about a potential dystopia or some uh, effects on ecology that is quite drastic that it wasn't didn't get as much recognition prior, and then you know political bodies started realizing, oh no, we got to do something about it, and then action was taken, like basically starting from the idea that came from a science fiction movie. Um, I mean, that's a bit hard to measure, I think, in terms of uh, actually what happens. But, I mean, you can definitely see how uh, in certain time periods, they certain narratives do kind of capture the mindset of the moment. So I think, like, in, in a lot of the films of the 70s, right, um, like things like Soylent Green, which is about overpopulation. and It's about people, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's about like an overpopulation narrative and, and there's not enough resources for everybody. There's all these other issues. And there's kind of a couple other ones like around the same time, like Logan's Run. So you can see like those ones actually kind of I think were a bit more significant than now where you kind of have um you know, they, they did kind of make they did have quite a huge impact in terms of what people were seeing, right? Partly because I think at that time they were so much different than what was happening uh, in terms of other narratives about the, a lot of you know prior, previous to that time, a lot of the narratives were you know quite hopeful about the future, right? That you know science fiction and progress would lead towards this great utopian future, and then you kind of see these other ones where you know maybe the future, maybe the future we're all going to be fending for ourselves, trying to survive and basically eating other people. So it's basically like a matter of like who is going to survive over this kind of uh, in in this world. If I may, I actually do have an example that is really good. It's not about ecology, but it's about nuclear war. Mm. And there was the movie um, The Day After, mm. which which aired in the 80s and actually is partially responsible for not only Ronald Reagan watched it and changed a lot of his uh, position towards <laughs> nuclear weapons and nuclear arsenals and a lot of like the disarming treaties of the Soviet Union, but also there was like a strong anti-nuclear weapons movement that it kind of started. And there's a lot of Gen Xers who remember being really, really scared of it or really afraid because of that movie. Well, yeah, I mean, there you go. On this sort of thread of perhaps more positivity, um, Zach, do you have any examples from works that you looked at or have seen or know about uh, of more hopeful, perhaps less dystopian futures and, you know, what that might be like in terms of ecology and and our place in the world and the universe? Um, there's, there's very few um, utopian narratives or even hopeful ones. I mean, a, a lot of them also do come out of like the nuclear holocaust narratives, right? Um, I mean, even Silent Spring is kind of a story that is very similar to um, is very similar to a nuclear holocaust narrative. Um, but th- there are some that I think even, even a lot of the ones that are more hopeful, I think. I'm more critical of because they're very <laughs> more naive. I think something like Avatar, which, <clears throat> which you know, in many ways is is kind of the definitive movie of science fiction and ecology, or at least is today. Um, but you know, it's a very kind of naive movie. I think in some ways, not only because it kind of you know, well, there's a whole bunch of problems with it around the sense that it's almost like a neo-colonial narrative in many ways. 
but it's also you know and it it was quite popular right a lot of people watched it and you know loved the movie and wanted to live in that world right so there i know there was like a study done where people watched it and were extremely depressed when they left the movie because they realized they didn't live in this in this world of uh i can't remember the name of the city now or um I don't know. It was, was like it neon Pan- Pangea. Pan- Pandora, Pandora, Pandora. Pandora, right. Pandora yeah. Yes, okay. <laughs> the planet. Pan something. Pan something. Um, so I mean, it is this like it is kind of like the more utopian one, but it's also I think it is one that I'm very critical of. Right? It, it is the opposite of of some of these more radical movies where they're they're thinking about maybe we need to restructure the social system in some way to make the world more environmentally friendly. It's actually kind of like a, a justification of that of that those worlds. Uh, would you say with people using technology more often and like uh, maybe even presidents being swayed by by an aggressively written tweet, uh, <laughs> what, uh, do you think maybe media and movies are going to be become more and more impactful? Um, <laughs> that's also a good question to ask. <laughs> it's hard. To, it is hard to measure. I think impact with those. Um, but I think I think they do they do kind of change maybe the way we think about nature in some ways. I think that's where um, these stories their strengths lie in that they're they're rethinking exactly what it means to kind of live in this kind of like environmentally damaged worlds, right? I think you know we all kind of have these we're, we're kind of bombard like I said before bombarded by a lot of these images. But I think you know that kind of that kind of being in that can be both like empowering and also disempowering in some sense because you know you can see some people starting to respond to that to live different lifestyles in some way to make different choices in terms of what they consume but you can also see a lot of people leading towards like this nihilistic outlook where you know some people are you know maybe hopeful that the end of the world will happen whatever that might mean but okay Tristan's pointing at me as as one of the people who are perhaps more nihilistic about this. So, you know, all right, fine. Maybe, I mean, would one of these perspectives just be that by learning more about this, by trying to analyze um, where we came from and where we're going, uh, would some of us simply just be, you know, uh, looking into into doomsday basically with our eyes open fully aware of what's coming at us but completely impotent in the face of you know the rest of the world and just along for the ride knowing that we're going to crash at the end is that a <laughs> well i mean that's one takeaway is it maybe i think i think maybe um i think if you watch a lot of the media and you hear a lot of these stories you maybe get a a misunderstanding. Uh, what I think is a misunderstanding about the end of the world. I don't know if there will really be an apocalypse that happens. I don't know if there'll be like this huge moment in which the end of the world knock happens. And sorry, just knock on wood. <laughs> I mean, that's a little disappointing. Um, I don't. I don't think that that moment is going to happen. I think it's going to be a slow, slow issue that you know slowly evolves over time. So you know, you might be looking forward to that end of the world where everything is okay, but. In in reality, um, it, that might never actually happen. You might be waiting for a long time because I think it'll just the environment will slowly degrade, but never actually. You won't end. The end of the world won't really end. But people have to make adjustments somewhere down the line, whether it's intentional or kind of forced upon them based on some um, some some situations that don't allow them to live the lives that they did before. Okay, I mean, that, I'm not sure if that is, you know much more comforting but uh 
Anyway, we are uh, sort of nearing the end of our time here today. So, Zach, is there um, sort of a takeaway that you would like uh, to to talk about in terms of your your work here at Western, your thesis? <laughs> um, I think that I think the takeaway is that I think um, you know one person, one of my former teachers, told me. Uh, it was science fiction is good to think with because I think it thinks about the comp- complexity of the world and, and and offers a chance to kind of think rethink how we kind of form this this world and what we might do that is differently. Um, so I think that's my takeaway: is science fiction is good to think with. So read it or watch it more often. Okay, well, thanks, Zach. Uh, that was a great conversation that we had. Um, I hope, that, you know, I guess you can look at it glass half full or glass half empty, but either way... Uh, or tipped go, over. Or tipped over. Uh, either or way, go watch, a science fi- <laughs> watch science fiction and uh, see what you think. It's going to be enjoyable. Uh, so we're coming to the end of our show, uh, and I just wanted to mention uh, one of the events being put on by, uh, by SOGS. Uh, called the Western Graduate Research Forum uh, Mosaic. It's an interdisciplinary uh, research forum uh, and a lot of graduate students are going to be presenting from all different departments so um, it's on March 10th uh, look for flyers around and emails going around, going out, going out to tell you uh, where it's going to be, and uh, come out and support uh, your fellow graduate students, including Yemen, who will be speaking at the this thing. Also, Gradcast is going to be there. We're going to be interviewing some people. It's going to be great. So, if you want to see our faces, you can come along. It's going to be a blast. You're going to enjoy it. I promise. Come to come and join us. Gradcast. Yes. Uh, so to wrap up. GradCast is a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. If you want to come on and talk about your own research, say, about a different type of dystopian fiction, uh, you can re- uh, reach us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. And if you put in gradcastradio.ca or .com, you can go to our website and listen to a podcast where every episode is available. We're coming off at episode 100, so there's a lot to enjoy. So, London, have a great night. Bye. That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through Gradcast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.